It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. All right, hour number three. You ready to do it? 404-872-0750. I got John behind the board jamming out to the music. I got Scotty B helping line up the phone calls. It's very simple. He asks your name and where you're calling from and what you're calling about. And away you go. You get on the radio with me. Uh, coming up in just a little bit, Georgia Forestry Commission with the Georgia Leaf Watch. If you want to do some sightseeing up in North Georgia this weekend, I don't think it's quite as colorful as it's going to be, but we'll see where we're at with the leaf change and what trees we're on the lookout for being the most colorful right now. And at the bottom of the hour, Pike Nursery's favorite flowers for fall containers. So a good weekend to play in the dirt, certainly. All right. Up first, calling from Statham, it's Christine. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Ashley. Uh, my husband and I planted three fruit trees on our property last year, and uh, we have deer. Mm. Uh, he calls them deer. I call them venison. Uh, <laughs> he he said, oh, I'll just spray the deer repellent on the trees, and that will keep them away. Well, I'm down to about four leaves on my cherry tree. Oh. I'm ready to put a net on my husband. I wanted to put <laughs> nets on the trees, but he didn't want me to do that. He said, no, I'll just spray the deer repellent, but the deer got to them. So my question is, do you think my cherry tree will make it, or should I just order one and get it in the ground as quickly as possible? It's it's tough to tell. I mean, obviously the tree is going to need what leaves it has you know, to be able to do its processes and all of that. But Christine, go ahead, and if there's a, a twig or a limb or something that you can start to like you know, see if it's pliable or not. I mean, if it just breaks off right away, then it's a goner. But if there's still a little flexibility in that limb and it doesn't break off, it's got some green in it, if you actually do break it off or prune it off, the tree may be okay because it just depends on how far established the root system got. If the root system is somewhat comfortable and cozy down there, I think it's got a better chance of of bouncing back. But the netting, I mean, as long as your husband's standing right by that tree and you throw the net over both, um, the, the netting's not going <laughs> to be a bad thing. I wouldn't hesitate to do that. And of course, early, you know, young, immature trees, something like a tomato cage or something, or any kind of boxed in maybe cattle panel or something that folks can use too, that you've got to be able to at least open up a little bit, you know, get to things on the ground, get to in there when it needs to be pruned. But you've got a few options. I know fencing for a large property is not ideal. What, uh, what, well, without naming the brand names, what kind of repellents did y'all use that just didn't work? I'm curious. Well, they, they, I think they work unless it rains, oh, and yeah, he doesn't. Right. He doesn't respray. I love him dearly. Um, yeah, he's a good guy, he, and he's not even listening, so he doesn't know we're talking about him. It's okay. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. No, he's he's a great guy. He he dug the holes. I love him for that. Um, but and and the deer are. Oh, Christine, I think we're starting to lose you there. The deer are pretty uh, pretty persistent. And it's just, you know, and it's a matter, too, of the damage. Like if, if some of you have older trees and you see the bark damaged on the trunk where they're rutting, you know, when they go into mating season and all that and they're rutting and they're rubbing their antlers and stuff up against the bark, that's easily prevented as well by little tree shelters. Folks use some kind of PVC piping and all of that for a little while during those seasons to be able to protect the uh, trunks. But I don't know. It may not be all for naught, Christine. You may still have 
some good luck with that. Just really keep an eye on it. Don't do anything to stress it. Obviously, now is not the time to fertilize. Make sure it maintains consistent moisture. If we go through a little period uh, where we're not going to have any rain, make sure to water it deeply. I would do the best you can to see if it's going to stay alive, but it may be okay. Thank you so much for the call. Up next, we've got Jordan calling from Hiram. Good morning, Jordan. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to call and see, um, we've got two small little mulch beds out front. Uh, one has a, a scarlet oak in it, and one has some Indian hawthorn in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just going to try to redo the, those mulch beds today, just remulch them. Uh, the Indian hawthorn has some some disease on it that we talked to our local extension agent about and have tried for the past year to fight it yeah. um, and can't seem to get rid of it because I think the leaves are falling down into the bed and just sitting, sitting there and staying there. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering, to prepare a mulch bed, is there anything I need to do? Do I need to put down like a weed barrier or anything like that? Um, well, first of all, good like hygiene practices are going to be your number one best preventative on that. And I pulled out Indian hawthorn at the house about 10 years ago because they got that leaf spot. And they were just defoliating really quickly. The leaves looked terrible. Um, and I just couldn't get ahead of it, nor did I want to. I wanted to plant something else anyways. So they may ultimately be a goner, unfortunately. But when I talk about hygiene and best management practices, too, normally you can lay new mulch on top of existing mulch. All it's going to do is cause the older mulch to break down, you know, add nitrogen to the soil and good contents and all of that stuff. But in this case, I would rake back and remove everything that you can from underneath the Indian hawthorn before you put new mulch down because that disease on that leaf spot is just going to keep sitting there and it's going to harbor some bad things chilling on the soil surface. Okay. Well, if you don't mind me asking, what did you put down in place of it, just as a recommendation? I did a couple of Encore azaleas. Um, I did a tea olive, which an autumn olive, which that was a huge mistake because that gets really big. But what I have in the back is the Laura Pedlum, the Chinese fringe. So that's the mm-hmm. purple leaves. And then the Indian hawthorn in the front, it was a pretty color contrast because they're, you know, red and green leaves and things like that. Um, what might be good instead, too, is abelia. Abelia is some of those same colors. They get white flowers, just like Indian hawthorn. The bush itself, the shrub itself, looks a little more delicate, like an Indian hawthorn is pretty sturdy. Um, but I would maybe look into abelia. That may be like as far as color flow, that may be kind of similar. Um, and abelia is not really apt to too many diseases that I'm aware of. I mean, if you want to hang in there with the Indian hawthorn, see what they do, but that light leaf spot's just not good. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm glad you called, Jordan. Good thinking. I mean, save yourself the trouble. You know, let's do it right the first time and put the mulch down the way it needs to be put. That way you're not kicking yourself later being like, ah, I should have pulled it back. But yeah, if there's any diseased leaves underneath roses, underneath something like that, um, even we talked a lot about fruit trees. If there's rotted fruit and things like that under the fruit trees, any of that going into this time of year needs to be removed from the scene. That way things are, you know, pathogens aren't going to continue to spread and all of that. Jordan, glad you called. Up next, Susan in Snellville. Hey, Susan, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I have some uh, cannas, which uh, this year have developed, uh, they do every year, the leaf rollers. Yes. And so they look terrible, and I want to know how to stop it next year. Mm, So that's getting out there early. As soon as they start to leaf out and as soon as they start to unfurl, um, really looking carefully. And I think for that, you can use a a BT product, Bacillus thuringiensis, um, because I think, if I'm not mistaken, they're in the caterpillar family. So if you start with a BT spray, 
I think mm-hmm. that's probably going to keep them at bay early on. Okay. Now, do I need, when they completely die down, should I just cut them, cut them down? And what should I do with, with, the, um, with the cannas right now? Um, I, I have some around a pine tree. They've made a really beautiful half circle around a pine tree. And I generally wait until they start to lean. Like they literally start leaning out like they're going to fall over. And that's when I just get tired of pushing the mower around them and they get in the way. So yeah. I cut them all the way back. Um, I'd leave them a little bit longer. Like my husband cut back the elephant ears a couple of weeks ago too, which I wish he hadn't done. But the longer you leave the good, healthy, green foliage on there then it really helps feed back the rhizome and the tuber in the ground but once everything starts to brown and and lean and all that it's not doing any good so you can cut them back and luckily the leaf rollers they don't overwinter it's not like you're gonna you know when you're throwing the the cuttings out in the woods it's not like they're you're spreading those guys or anything okay so i don't need to worry about trying to treat the ground nope when Mm -hmm. i cut them down okay not at all so yes next year get ahead of it a little bit keep an eye out as the leaves are unfurling and have bt on hand and that'll keep them at bay okay the other question i had i just noticed yesterday when i was picking up i used my mower to to vacuum up my leaves yeah i noticed um this year, the voles or a mole or whatever is in my yard again. I didn't notice it all summer, and now all of a sudden, he's back, whichever one it is. So do you see the tunnels that make the ground soft, like when you're yes, stepping? Yes, it's all smushy. And yes. So it's okay, so that's definitely a mole. So the moles are larger. They tunnel. They open up those pockets and those airways and those tunnels right underneath the soil surface. And hence, when you're pushing the mower, when you're walking around, everything's really soft. Um, This sounds stupid, Susan, but it always worked for Walter Reeves for years on the show, talking about stomping those tunnels down. And you look like an idiot when you're doing it. (laughs) You're jumping up and down on your yard and your neighbors are thinking, what in the world? But you can feel as you're compressing those tunnels and it forces them to go out. It forces them to maybe go into the neighbor's yard, to maybe go into the back of the yard. Um, And what they're after, moles, they'll eat bugs and things, whereas voles, the little guys, they like roots of plants and things like that. So they're more apt to, you know, eating that. But moles, if they're after grubs, earthworms, those kinds of things, if it really, really becomes a problem, then that's what you want to start tackling is the grubs, getting an insecticide for the grubs. Earthworms, I hate to say kill them because they're so beneficial, but you're getting rid of their food source. So between that and stomping the tunnels down, they won't be happy and they will leave your property. They will go somewhere else. Thanks so much for calling, Susan. Got to run. Coming up, we have Seth Hawkins with the Georgia Forestry Commission. It's 95.5 WSB. It's Scott Slate. Did you know you can listen to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on Saturday mornings on your smart speaker? And me too, weekday mornings. Just tell your smart speaker, play 95.5 WSB, and we're on. 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's news and talk. Here's Ashley. All right. Updating that weekend weather forecast brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today, you may see a drizzle, but it's going to move out as this cold front moves in. And by cold front, it's going to feel like in the low 60s by the afternoon. Good football weather, I say. The warmest part of the day is right about now. It's going to be mostly sunny skies today through at least Tuesday or Wednesday. So that's good news. All right. The new installment of uh, this month, the Georgia Leaf Watch. I love the partnership we've got with the Georgia Forestry Commission telling us what trees are changing, where to see the best show. So back on the show with me, it is Seth Hawkins, forester for the Georgia Forestry Commission. Hey, Seth, welcome back. 
morning, Ashley. How are you doing this morning? Very good. This is truly like one of my favorite parts of the show in the month of October. We did it <laughs> together last year, and it's just so much fun and really, I think, inspires people to, to go get out of Metro Atlanta, head north. Um, what are we seeing right now as far as like elevations that are maybe above 3,000 feet or so? Or are we really starting to see some color or not yet? Yeah, yeah. So definitely that, that 2,500, 3,000-foot threshold um, as far as elevation seems to be the point at which we're really starting to see the most fall color change happening, about 10 to 20 percent. Um, but you get, get, you know, get down about 1,500 to 2,000 feet over. In some parts of the state, you're starting to get some of those. The sour woods are coming in. The dogwoods are bringing their reds, obviously. The birch and the poplar are bringing in the yellows. But Again, that really just that 2,500 to 3,000 foot threshold right now, um, that's where you're going to find where those elevation changes is where you're going to find the best fall leaf color right now. Nice. And does it mean, you know, trees and some of these having a body of water go through, a little river or anything, does that impact the leaf color? Yeah, so for sure, um, definitely along like creeks and along roadways and openings is where you're going to see some of the most outstanding color right now. Um, just because you get some of those understory species, the, again, those dogwood, the sassafras, um, things like that, the sourwood. And so along those openings where you're going to get the most dramatic reds right now and some of that color, um, but also, again, just following those those places along those elevation changes, for sure. Nice. Okay, now I see in your notes and Stacia's notes here the Georgia Mountain Fall Festival in Hiawassee, so that's kind of more like north central but uh what i like about this is y'all have some routes plotted out for us so maybe throw up some highways and drives that we could maybe take for sure yeah you know if you go visit Hawassi and go to the mountain fall festival it's a it's a great time um you know highway 76 towards blue ridge that 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 drive right there the gain and loss in elevation along that drive should provide some great fall leaf color opportunities um, you know, over in the northwest part of the state, you know, Lookout Mountain, Fort Mountain, obviously those are great drives right now. That's where you're going to see the most color in that part of the state. And, you know, get over in the northeast part of the state, you know, Richard Russell Highway, of course. Right. Um, and then, you know, anything intersecting going along Highway 180. Also, we're seeing a lot of good color there right now as well. Neat. Okay, northwest, kind of where I'm at, if we start headed up north of Rome and north of Calhoun and going up that way. Um, Lookout Mountain is up there, am I right? Yes, yeah, for sure. So yeah, that's, so, um, yeah. that's going to be cool, like on the way to, you know, I don't know, Chattanooga or something. What might we see? Yeah, for sure. If you go up Lookout Mountain, up um, Highway 136, up to Lookout, you can either go over to Cloudland Canyon or you can cut across the highway over towards um, Point Park and, and Sunset Rock and all that. And we're seeing a lot of good color over there. I know it's not Georgia, but, um, you know, you cross the state line a little bit, come down into Tennessee and you can go back through the valley and get back on your route back into uh, Georgia. And I love this, that your teams of, of foresters that are out there kind of submit pictures into Stacia, the leaf color that they're changing. Um, what are the jobs this time of year? You've got about a minute or two to speak to this, Seth. I mean, I know they're just, it's not like, oh, October, we just take off from our normal jobs and go up and take pictures of the leaf change. But what different things are they working on that they actually get to see this leaf change as is happening? Oh, for sure. I mean, our foresters are working throughout the year um, out in, around the state, um, helping, you know, landowners with their timber management, with their wildlife management, with their, you know, with their wooded property, um, for sure. And so, you know, we're out and about all the time. Um, you know, this just happens to be one of the fun parts of the year when we get to also snag some pictures of some good fall leaf color. When we're out there just trying to spread the word about the importance of forestry in Georgia and just trying to um, help the residents as much as we can.
And if anybody needs your help, I mean, y'all are a great resource for folks. And maybe they don't necessarily think to contact you for different things like that, land management, tree practices, all that kind of thing. How do we find you online? Oh, for sure. Um, go to gatrees.org. Um, that's our website. There's a ton of resources there. There's contact information for your local office, for your Georgia Forestry Commission office. Um, ton, again, tons of resources, contact information. Just reach out to us. We are happy to help however we can. Um, if that happens to be pointing out the best fall leaf color, that's what we're here to help with. So. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you're here for that, to help me out with that. Like I said, it's my favorite. Thank you, Seth, for taking the time. And you'll be back next Saturday for sure. Oh, thank you, Ashley. I appreciate it. Love it. I'm going to be sharing some of the pictures that the foresters have been taking right now of the leaf change slowly but surely. And if you do, use the hashtag GA Leaf Watch, and that way we can kind of pinpoint where you're seeing some of the best color. It's getting ready to explode, guys, in a week or two. We're going to take a break. It's time for news on WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Multitasking at its best. So I just, as I got off the phone with Seth Hawkins there, uh, posted a couple of pictures that foresters have taken. The two pictures that I posted are northeast Georgia, but slowly starting to see some of that leaf change. Uh, Call me a geek, if you will, for getting so excited about uh, colors, fall color. I just absolutely love it. So another topic on the show today, yeah, we've got the leaves changing color in the trees, but fall color in our garden. So Walter Reeves and I talked about uh, at 630 a little bit about some of his favorite fall annuals and some easy color that you can certainly have in the landscape. And to expand on that just a bit more, I've got Rena Sartain back with me, certified plant professional and associate at the Buckhead Pike Nursery. And we're going to talk about favorite flowers for fall containers. Hey, Rena, how are you? Well, I'm good now, Ashley. I've had my first cup of coffee and I'm ready to go. <laughs> Girl, I have not gotten through my first cup, like literally the cup that I brought from home. Um, it's probably a little less than half full, and it's cold now, so I just talk too much. I think that's that's uh, indicative <laughs> that's of me not having enough time to drink my coffee, but good, good, good. I am glad you're good. The nursery is going to be packed today with folks kind of, I think, maybe a little motivated and inspired by this cooler weather we're having like right now. It's happening right now. This cold front's moving in and a little bit of a breeze outside, um, but this is going to be fun to talk about. Favorite plants for fall container gardens Give us some ideas. I mean, where to even begin? There's so many. Well, we couldn't have timed this better, actually, with the weather cooling off, because Atlanta's favorite flower, of course, in the winter are pansies and and violas. They are just, they come colors, um, everything from white to dark red to blue, purple, yellow. They're just absolutely vibrant and you the pansies can have big heads they can take full sun the violas have smaller heads they're more of a cluster flower and they can take a little bit more shade Um, but they are just gorgeous if you just pack a container or a, a flower bed full of them they're just absolutely gorgeous and they will hold up well into the spring actually they kind of um in their DNA, Ashley, they are made to be able to handle very, very cold um, temperatures, cold, even ice. And then they regenerate 
um, and <clears throat> come springtime, they kind of get a second wave of growth, and they're just absolutely gorgeous. They are, and I love that they're so you know tolerant of the cold. Because I mean, I've taken pictures for years. I'm very rarely home on a snow day because usually I'm stuck down here and I have to stay in a hotel just to make sure I can get to and from work. But when I have been home and the snow's on the ground, what do you see popping out of that snow? Pansies, a hundred percent. Exactly. Exactly. Another great flower to use for a little height is a snapdragon. Snapdragons actually bloom twice. They'll bloom in the fall. They hold their leaf through the winter as they um, kind of bloom out, and then they rebloom again in the spring. So they have kind of a double impact in a pot or in a bed. They make a a lovely um, back tier to a flower bed, and they come in yellow, white, orange, red, and some kind of in-between colors. So they're kind of a thriller plant. They love the sun. Everybody loves the winter sun because it it feeds them, and yet it's a cool sun. So that's a great um, flower to use, and you can couple that with ornamental greens like cabbage and kale, um, a great plant that my favorite is to use Swiss chard. There's a rainbow colored chard that has pink and red stems that is just incredible. And that makes a beautiful interim backdrop or, um, you know, interest point in any bed or in any pot. And of course you can eat the chard. There's also mustard greens, mm-hmm. which, um, make a, and they get big, very big. There's artichoke, um, all kinds of cabbage and kale, and many of them you can actually eat. Not all of them. Most are ornamental, but um, some are very tasty. So that's a great accent. Um, Another good plant, and this is really can be indoors or outdoors, is cyclamen. Cyclamen is one of the prettiest little plants. It is, um, it comes in red, dark pink, light pink and white and it has kind of a a heart-shaped leaf it's variegated and these leaves will over summer if you have them in the shade but the cyclamen loves cool temperatures and if it gets really cold if you're planning to put it outside in a pot or in the ground I think it's actually better for pots Um, they're a little bit more expensive so um, I think they do beautifully as a focal point in a pot Um, They might lose their flower if the temperatures get really harsh, but they're just gorgeous, and they can take partial shade. But they're also pretty just to buy one, put it in a little cash pot, and bring it in to your house, and they will last a long, long time. Cyclamen are really fun, and when kids get right up on cyclamen and look at it, I've heard some say that it almost looks like the flower's a little upside down and the petals are growing upwards, you know, and it looks really neat. And when you were mentioning snapdragons, that's the same kind of thing for folks who literally don't know why they are named snapdragons. If you pinch that flower just right, it snaps. It almost kind of opens and closes. It does. It does. See, and the flowers are just amazing. Yeah, um, that's so fun. I mean, get the kids to really look closely at this stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Um, another thing that will overwinter here um, are different kinds of ornamental grasses. Uh, there is a, um, my favorite is a red rooster. It's kind of a brown grass and it picks up, it's very upright and it has the, um, highlights of gold and orange and yellow in it so when the sun hits it it's beautiful it doesn't take over a pot like maybe a fountain grass does in the summer it gives you the illusion of height 
but it still lets your pansies and your flowers be have center stage in a pot. But it's just beautiful. When I brought um, some home the first time, my husband said, why are you bringing those dead plants home? And I said, they're not dead. But I tell you, I had it in a pot for probably five years. Wow, and really? And beautifully through the season. So that's a great thing to use. There are also different kinds of um, small grasses, different kinds of Carex, Everillo, Evergold. Those are clumping beautiful um, grasses. One is chartreuse. One is green and white um, Sweet flag is another one you could use, prairie grass, and even black mondo grass, which can um, is really a true mondo. Now, that I've it, not seen. Is it really a much, much darker color? It's it's black. It is literally wow. just black, and it's it can grow in basically full shade in the summertime, but it really looks great as an accent in a pot. It does not get really big. It's more like a dwarf mondo, but it's just so unusual. So it's a great thing to use. How also. funny. Yeah, the husbands listening are like, please don't bring home dead looking plants. Why Why am I giving uh, you money to go spend on brown and uh, black plants? But it is neat, the contrast to the color. Yeah, I, I just love the red rooster. It, there are a couple of different ones. There's a toffee twist, which stays a little bit shorter, but the red rooster will actually get about 20 inches tall. And it's just fun. It's just different and fun. Now, one of my favorite ornamental grasses, and I didn't know if you'd mentioned this for containers or not, is pink muley grass, because you're seeing those pink wispy plumes at the top of the pink muley grass now, but is that a little too big for a container, or will it stay kind of um, to size? You know, you see so much of that at the botanical gardens, and it has become very popular. Mm-hmm. Muley grass, to me, is kind of like... Um, um, daylilies. It's gorgeous when it's in bloom. Yeah. But when it's finished blooming, it's kind of ugh. Okay. And um, yeah, I think it is kind of big for a container unless you've really got a monstrous one. But I tell you, it would make a beautiful backdrop in a bed. Mm. It, it really would. It's so wispy. It's almost ethereal looking. So it's just beautiful. So, so many options, as you've heard Rena mention, with the pansies and the violas. I mean, get a number of trays of those and go to town. You can plant them really closely together. Snapdragon, Mm -hmm. cyclamen. If you do not know what we're talking about with cyclamen, it's worth a look at the nursery to go, oh, that's what they're talking about. Because, Rena, as you said, the leaves are variegated, different color, just really substantial leaves on those. And ornamental greens and the cabbages and kale and ornamental grasses. So a lot to choose from. And, of course, you've still got pumpkins in stock, too. Exactly. We're just so lucky in Atlanta because we have such an incredibly long growing season. And so we really have so many options and our temperatures rarely get um, to the extremes. So, you know, we are just very, very lucky in Atlanta. I agree. Okay. Now, if you get excited like Rena and I do, even just talking about plants, thinking about looking at plants, you just want to go to the nursery just because today um, you could work for Pike Nursery, full-time and part-time, seasonal positions available. Those are awesome for high school and college age, the seasonal jobs, working around this time of year and at Christmas. That's really, really fun. Um, they have growing facilities and landscape divisions that they're looking to help for. So do you want to give us a little bit of info really quickly, Rena, about some job fairs that are coming up? Yeah, we're, we're having a job fair at the Buckhead store on October 19th. And um, come work with me. I would love it. And on the 22nd at the Lindbergh store. And I will tell you that it is 
an amazing experience to work around plants. They are healing, therapeutic. It has changed a lot of lives in that store. Everybody has a story that they bring to the table, and that job has just been transforming for me over the past 12 years. It is a great place to work. You have to, you get to be outside, which relieves you of a lot of concerns um, in this day and age. And to help people make the world prettier is just the best. That really is rewarding. And I mean, I love my coworkers dearly, but plants don't complain. They don't talk back. And they don't gossip. <laughs> so, I mean, like, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. So I would welcome anybody to come in. It's just we'll um, let you fill out an application, quick interview, and we're good to go. All right. So pikenursery.com will help you get started. I'm probably going to share those dates maybe on Monday for the three job fairs that are upcoming at different Pike Nursery locations. Rena Sartain, thank you so much again for being on. Second week in a row, and you, you killed it. You did great. Hey, always my pleasure, Ashley. All right. Thank you. Have a good Saturday. Enjoy the folks at the Buckhead location. We'll be back with the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. You're listening to WSB. Cake. Wow, that brings me back to like the 90s. Good stuff, John. All right, back to green and growing. Only about two, three minutes left to tell you the weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. And then you're going to hear Christina Edwards pepper it in throughout the day. But uh, morning rain, maybe a few drizzles in some areas. Afternoon sun waking up to breezy conditions, and you can feel that temperature dropping through the day, maybe down to the low to mid-60s. Tomorrow, a high of 68, low of 46. That's crazy. Fall has officially hit, and then sun into the beginning of the work week. Before we get to the top three, I want to tell you, visit wsbradio.com for a chance to win four tickets to the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Yeah, I just talked about fall, but Christmas Eve and other stories, they will be December 12th, 7.30 p.m. at Gas South Arena. Tickets are on sale now at AXS.com. A portion of the proceeds go towards the Veterans Empowerment Organization. So already start thinking about stuff to do with the family in December. Green Green and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. All right, a good one. You can raise the mower height about half an inch. Enjoy one last mowing of Bermuda, centipede, zoysia, fescue. You're going to have to keep up with a little more, but uh, do that now. Put the lawnmower to rest for the winter time. If you've got those warm season grasses, they're ready to go dormant. Do not fertilize them right now. Number two, cut back perennials that have gone to seed and collect the seeds in paper envelopes. Make sure you keep them dry. Have a marker handy so you can mark them. If you choose not to do this, if you don't want to cut back the perennials that are looking a little dead, the birds will eat the seed so you can leave it and feel good about it. Number three, plant cover crops and empty vegetable beds, those large areas. That'll help increase the nitrogen, kind of keep the soil surface from eroding and biomass in the soil. Consider using something like red clover or buckwheat. And I'll tell you another one too, which I was disappointed I didn't get this a week or two ago, but go ahead and start giving those poinsettias 
14 hours of darkness. They need 14 hours of darkness, 10 hours of light. If you've kept those green and bushy since last Christmas, it's going to take about 6 to 10 weeks for the bracts on the poinsettias to start changing color, to turn to red or white or pink or whatever color they may be. So you really have to keep up with that. I want to hear from you next Saturday if you're really good at that, because that sounds like a challenge, keeping up with that every day, moving it in and out of the closet or removing the box from it. My thanks to all of you for the great calls, the Georgia Forestry Commission, Walter Reeves, Pike Nursery for coming along, Trees Atlanta for a great segment on invasives. You'll be able to listen back to the show. Give me about a day or so on WSBRadio.com under On Demand. Y'all have a great weekend and go dogs. Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.